0: Jumbo fellow adventurer, it's Mike Dooley here to remind you of how powerful you are and how much you deserve by sharing spiritual tune-ups. These are live broadcasts Monday through Friday, each lasting 5 to 15 minutes, where I answer viewers' questions, bringing lofty metaphysical concepts down to earth for your immediate traction. You were born to succeed. You are pushed on to greatness every single day. Your positive thoughts are at least 10,000 times more powerful than your negative thoughts. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy a week's worth of spiritual tune-ups. Jumbo, fellow adventurers, happy Monday. Mike Dooley, time for a spiritual tune-up. Sticking with the theme we left off on last week where I discussed rapture and Armageddon. Uh, Terms used in the Bible and amongst other religions that often seem otherworldly, are they metaphors? What's really going on? What was the underlying intention? Uh, I'm going to continue with this, doing my best to give my views from my intuition, my logic, going within, as well as some confirmation uh, from others. And I'll explain which is what, when. So, today, the Antichrist, Second Coming, and UFOs. Not necessarily in that order. First, let me just speak lightly to the Bible. Okay, I was raised a Catholic, not a Catholic. I think it's very clear to anybody who has been lightly exposed to the Bible that there are undeniable gems that are empowering, that are beautiful, that speak of the love and the glory um, throughout that book. And I, and I have no doubt that probably most every holy book uh, has much the same religion is a man made attempt to understand that which eludes the physical senses asking metaphysical questions that is the metaphysics the sciences that belie the physical world uh, they all start out with good intentions and yes some of them are um peppered if you will with appearances from prophets sage sages and wise people who are truly divine and illuminated. Actually, we're all divine to the same exact capacity, but some are more illuminated than others. And some of these messiahs uh, showed up at a very challenging, difficult time in the evolution of consciousness, where perhaps we were about to go under through our own fear and misunderstanding of reality, had it not been for the these sages to appear and help gently get us back on track so that we could then begin learning for ourselves because nobody's going to be able to implant knowledge and wisdom. We can all, and I hope in my own little way, um, give other people ideas, food for thought so that they can connect their own dots and, and move in towards enlightenment, leading a happier, more loving life. So. The Bible, as was, has been said by many scholars, including some channeled um, entities like Seth through Jane Roberts, um, is in parts untarnished and in other parts literally rewritten and hijacked by men, literally men back in the day, who had agendas. So you have to take a grain of salt when digesting Uh, that which comes out of the Bible, my opinion. In fact, the Bible is made up of many gospels and many gospels were written at the time that were not included in the Bible. Who decided which gospels would go in and which would not? Guys did. And who wrote these passages? Clearly, the, the ones that are most astounding were channeled, which is nothing more than the author's higher self. In fact, uh, religious people and devout Christians will say the Bible is the word of God. It wasn't written by men. Physically, men showed up, put pen to paper, recited, told stories, but it was God working through them. That is channeling. We are all of God, by God, pure God. There are channels alive among us today. Some really pure and some dilute and spoil the message with their own egoic influence. So the Bible has a lot of treasures in it, but to say that this book that was written 2,000 years ago or longer, if it's the Old Testament, is unquestionably the word of God and must be followed to the letter, it's like, which letter? Aramaic, um, Which language? Which translation? Uh, which gospels? The ones that were included or the ones that were included and then taken out, like on reincarnation? You need to... Always rely on yourself and your own inner compass to discern what is truth and what is not. And generally, if you're dealing with a topic uh, and you're wondering if it's the truth, the absolute truth, it will always either speak of life's beauty or speak of our power and in every case, leave no one behind. Any words that say this group of people go here and the rest go there, is exclusionary. Is purely man-made. The divine would never separate. There is no separations. We're all different incarnations of the same God, peering at life through different lenses: our physical senses, our heart, our minds, etc. So now let's talk about the second coming. Last week. I concluded the week with Armageddon and rapture, and I spoke about the evolution of consciousness. And I spoke that once the big plunge was taken into these sacred jungles of time and space uh, with a realization at the outset that we are everywhere always at once, and then believing in the lies of here versus there, now versus then, have versus have not, suddenly we are unaware that we're everywhere always at once, and we're focusing on certain spaces if you will in certain times uh, denying that we are also everywhere always at once and we kind of the bible says fell from grace i think that's uh, an unfortunate characterization we bought the ticket and now the adventure is on and so we fell into a forgetting of who we really are why we really are and what's going on so that we could have more of an adventure as we move back into the light in journeys led by our hearts, our desires, and our fears, as we fall in love and are fallen in love with. This is the adventure of every one of us. So as we were moving through the earlier recorded uh, darkness, on planet Earth, if you will, there was this being, a brother and a sister in his own words, Jesus Christ, who showed up to remind us who we really are, that God dwells within, that God does the miracles, that, that, that you, your mere physical self, um, often denies your eternal spiritual soul self. And if you wake up to the truth, the truth will set you free and God can do Her work, uh, its work, uh, through you as an instrument, as a channel, while you still retain your personality, your love and zest for life, etc. So so Jesus, if you will, a brother who said that we will do greater things than him, showed up at a dark time to, to help realign people's beliefs instead of being distrustful and fearful of everything and everyone. Um, There was a talk of brotherly love and possibilities and turning the other cheek and taking the high road. Things that people clearly were not doing back then. And so with his awareness, as has been chronicled by many, Jesus, the figure, was said to have awakened the Christ within. They then called him Jesus Christ. His name was not Mr. Christ, obviously. Christ means the awakened one. And so this one person, divine and radiant and loved and an example to all, as have there been others and will be more, um, was able to sh- totally let the light of truth shine from his being. And this idea that I'm about to share has was first introduced to me by Seth, dictated by Jane Roberts. You can get the Seth books by Jane Roberts at any bookstore. Um, And the idea is that the second coming was not meant to herald the reincarnation or the return in any way, shape, or form of the physical man, Jesus. It was, however, meant to signify that the Christ, Christ consciousness, would finally one day in the world awaken in awe, that the world would get to this place in the evolution of consciousness as we climb back up higher into the light, more and more aware of our eternal, divine, supernatural, loving nature, Um, and and it would then be said that, that Christ's consciousness has returned. The second coming said by Seth and echoed by some other great books, can't recall what they were, some channeled, some not. All have said exactly the same things and I can only tell you that for me intuitively and logically that makes a whole lot of sense given Jesus's own words that he is not the one he found his way through truth to the Almighty and through the Christ consciousness in each of us not through the Christ Jesus um, we will all find the same pathway so the second coming is speaking to the evolution of consciousness, which I talked about last week, which is now upon us at an exciting level so that it can be seen that more love, more beauty, more inclusion, conversations that we weren't having about inclusivity are now all happening now there's more love there's more peace there's more possibilities there's more of a recognition that we're brothers and sisters this is Christ consciousness nothing to do with Christianity the religion they also loved what this guy said and they took it in a slightly different direction has nothing to do with religion the truth is awakening on planet earth in the hearts minds and souls of people now who live there and that is what the second coming was all about then the question was brought up and i'll just do this as quickly as possible the antichrist you know there's been a lot of speculation and of course the idea in the bible is that i think the old testament is that there is going to be an individual who rises to power that Many, many, many people love and adore, and it's going to turn out that this person um, was not really what they appeared to be. Now, ironically and almost humorously, there were several who, on major network programs in the United States, said that there's no question that Barack Obama is the Antichrist. Um, and then there has been many who have perhaps thought that Donald Trump was the Antichrist. People fell in love with him. Maybe he's not all that he appeared to be. I don't know, I'm not passing judgment. This is what I will say. Um, I will say that the future holds probabilities and some are very strong and some are more likely to come to pass than others and even. 2000 years ago or 5000 years ago, one could look to the future, one possessing great wisdom and see a likely turn of events through which consciousness would evolve. And they could literally tune in with psychic abilities to see these different probable futures, none of which are set in stone. And so with incredible accuracy, um, many ancient prophecies seem to have come to bear and been actually quite spot on, but none were guaranteed. And that would certainly be true of this theoretical antichrist. Has there been one in our midst? I think a lot of people could point to a lot of folks who might fit that character who were world leaders. And perhaps maybe none of them um, fit that bill and somebody around the corner will come to come to power and uh, mislead the population. But neither of these instances or probabilities is important compared to what's happening and stirring in your heart right now. What levels of truth are you embracing? Are you reaching out? Are you finding inclusivity? Are you loving more and more people without regard to conditions? Okay, This is what's at hand for all of us. And then whoever comes to power, uh, whether they stay or not or good or bad, they will be a reflection of those who put them in power. So the more people that get on board with love and sharing and the view of our commonalities, the less likely any past, present or future political leader can lead us astray. And lastly, somebody asked about UFOs. Uh, pointed out that there's been historical evidence and video and hearsay uh, forever on UFOs. And could it be that the higher powers that are trying to uh, manipulate the world, governments, organizations, maybe borderline conspiracy theories, are bringing out the UFO uh, video releases from the U.S. military to kind of subterfuge and to distract from Armageddon, and the Antichrist, and all of those things. I I think sometimes logic can uh, answer a lot here. Unquestionably, we are not the only inhabited planet. Unquestionably, there are others with far more advanced technology and mindsets uh, and spirituality than our own. In every regard, they would uh, surpass us. And so it would be no surprise that they have found wormholes or whatever with their physical spacecraft to visit us, and it would be no surprise that anyone that sophisticated must also be somewhat plugged in spiritually speaking, or they'd blow themselves up. Uh, it might seem like technology um, would not be a barometer of spirituality, but. I think, in many regards, it would be the more spiritual, the better the technology. And if you look at folks like us who are not that spiritual, we use technology to create bombs and throw at each other. So we're not—we're a good example of what I'm saying. We're not that spiritual, and our technology, while impressive to cavemen and cavewomen. Um, is not otherwise as impressive as it could be. So I would say the folks that are visiting us now and through time immemorial have been generally quite spiritually advanced. Uh, You know, that's my sense could be totally wrong. And I think if they're that advanced spiritually and technologically, they would realize that it would be to their own detriment to show their face because we would pull out loaded guns and tanks and nuclear missiles and try to destroy them out of fear. And so they have chosen to remain um, kind of incommunicado and only visible on the very fringe of our existence and not engage with our political or corporate or any other kind of leaders yet and that's why they have been so elusive and as far as um, what the what the governments are sharing i think as part of the evolution of consciousness which is permeating every sector of the world as we all wake up even in the darkest corners even in government even in business uh, people are realizing in government hey we've got all these files and we've been lying and hiding Lying to the public and hiding uh, these files, and that just really doesn't add up. That doesn't serve anybody. That only a few people in military would know that there's these strange phenomenon. We're all brothers and sisters. Let's get this out in the air, okay? Let's let's live in open, transparent society. And I think that is coinciding with the evolution of consciousness, the awakening of the Christ consciousness within all of us. That's why it's happening. Not so much because bad people are trying to cover up and hide and do the the bad stuff and, and the people who are generally more corrupt, they're getting minimalized. They're getting pushed aside. We're moving into the light. It's a really awesome time to be alive. Jumbo, fellow adventurers, Mike Dooley, and it's time for a spiritual tune-up. Today's question is uh, profound, uh, self-reflective, somebody who's truly seeking answers, seeking the truth, the truth we live amongst. Mike, do we all have a dark side? And if so, how do we best bring that part of ourselves to the light? Okay. Okay. I know this is splitting hairs, but it's important to ask questions as accurately as possible. Otherwise, it's based on a failed premise and the answer will never quite be what you want it to be. So I'm parsing this pretty thinly. Uh, To be as literal as possible, absolutely no. We do not have a dark side. Not one speck, not. smidge not an atom or a molecule pure radiant light but I understand what the questioner is asking and there's validity to the underlying uh, question Uh, uh, and that is you know uh, do we all do we all have a a darkness perhaps might be a better way to ask it and excuse me for splitting hairs Um, what there is is truth and confusion and to the degree that we are confused there's darkness okay darkness uh, pain suffering emotional physical pandemics the cold you name it strife with friends and uh, weird manifestations that don't make sense. Those all stem from confusion. Uh, Confusion can lead to evil behavior, if you will. But do we have darkness innate? Some of our DNA, some of our cells? Are we born a little bit uh, kind of like a blank slate and there's blotches of, of, you know, I don't know what else to call it. People would call it darkness. No, 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 no. All pure radiant light. You are 100% divine energy. Now this is going to go somewhere. Um, I'm going to answer the question last. How do we best bring, um, let's call it the darkness uh, to the light, um, the confusion to truth? But first, something that's implied by the question, I guess that pushed uh, a button for me, is the presumption as I was taught uh, going to um, Sunday school classes, being part of the Catholic church, not part of any church today, um, is that there is an evil out there lurking in the world as if it was some primordial force with a will and an intention, a volition all its own. Um, Call it the devil. They usually do. Neither is there such an evil of its own volition, nor is there a devil. Uh, It begs the question, if you believe in source energy, the divine, all that is, the universe, or call it God, and certainly there is an intelligence that put this bastion of order Uh, into motion. That's got to be a given. There's no way that consciousness sprung from matter. There's no way that matter nor energy, if you will, is the prime mover. It's all illusions. That's known science. And something set these illusions into motion. A, A vast intelligence that the human brain could never fathom or comprehend. Wouldn't it go without saying, That this this indescribable intelligence, uh, clearly motivated entirely by love, otherwise you wouldn't see the beauty, the perfection, the symbiotic relations everywhere. This loving intelligence, wouldn't you expect at a minimum that it would be able to control, regulate, manage, or squash anything it had created now the now some religions will tell you that god created angels one of the angels ran amok one of the angels became untethered one of the angels kind of tried to bring down the whole house and now it's god versus that angel please god is clearly so immense this would be like god has a kitchen in heaven and in that kitchen there is a cockroach. I don't think so. Not in a zillion, trillion, billion years. Uh, Whatever would be displeasing to the divine would be changed before it even became displeasing. Now, I am not justifying the evil crap that human beings do. But when you realize it's happening in a holographic universe and is born of their confusion and what it is, is their own in unintentional, some cases, maybe intentional manifestations and that life in time and space, while meaningful and profound and beautiful and absolutely sacred, it's still just a dream. And I don't mean to diminish it in any way when I say just a dream. It is. It is beyond worth in value and uh, beauty and, 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 and all, there's just no words to describe it. But still, whatever happens here, we all have forever, forever and ever and ever. And then we have forever again, and then and forever and ever. So that might put into perspective the kind of crappy things human beings can do in their sleep-induced state where they are far removed from truth. So there's no evil lurking on its own. There's no blotches of darkness inside the soul or in any human being. We're all here, as I've spelled out in the last two spiritual tune-ups, kind of marching up the ladder of uh, the spiritual evolution of consciousness. Uh, Going from darkness, which is, again, just a kind of a a label, if you will, all labels slip and fail to a degree, a label for confusion, being out of alignment with truth. But by being out of alignment with truth, we can proceed towards truth and we will arrive at truth with a newfound awareness um, and compassion and empathy and joy that was otherwise impossible without the fall from grace, not an unintentional fall. We could, divine intelligence saw that coming, but it made possible this procession, this adventure, an adventure that could never have happened had it not been for the fall. And in this kind of lost, if you will, temporarily lost state, um, our confusion, will be a breeding ground for bad behavior, um, evil deeds, uh, and other forms born of misunderstanding who we really are, and how we got here. Uh, Finally, um, how do we best bring the darkness in ourselves? Again, words are slipping and failing here. I know you could uh, um, read that several ways. How do we bring it to the light? the same way anything happens in time and space you do it with intention you intend to to reveal the darkness you ask yourself with the expectation that the answers are in reach because they always are you ask yourself what am i not seeing that i could be seeing how else could i view this person or this situation um what's there and has been there all along that others see that I am not seeing. If you are in pain, emotionally or physically, there's something you're missing. If you're having uh, trouble with an individual, and this does not excuse their bad behavior, but if you're having trouble with it, there's something you're missing. Now, that doesn't mean don't seek recourse. That doesn't mean that, they, that it's okay what they did. It's not okay what they did. But you have the ability within, through light and love, to come to peace and connect the dots be free and move forward and still you can take them to court if you want Um, or or have a talk with them and let them know what's going on Um, search with intention for whatever it is you might not be seeing and let that search be filled with love you've always done your best no one could have done better in your shoes no matter what. You've done no matter where you've been, no matter where you are, you have done your best. So go within, open your heart, open your mind. It takes a very big person to consider that there might be ways of understanding others or circumstances or life or themselves than the way they have always viewed them. A huge person. And this doesn't mean uh, compromising in in the traditional way uh, or settling for less. You can have your high standards but you can come to a peace with it in an understanding, in light and love and, pay, and perhaps say adios to those people who are no longer um, serving you. Okay? Loving the search for truth doesn't mean you have to hang around with everybody you've ever met. Sometimes the lesson is learning how to say goodbye with love in your heart. Bo, fellow adventurers, please excuse this brief intermission as I explain the remainder of this podcast. I came down with quite a cough the week that you're listening to, and so Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, I did not do a live tune-up broadcast. On Wednesday, however, instead of broadcasting, we shared a 20-year-old recording of me delivering a 35-minute speech titled, Thoughts Become Things. This was done in a Unity Church, 300 people in attendance. I was petrified, but it was one of the most memorable talks I have ever given. Uh, The audience was warm, receptive. You're going to hear a lot of laughter, and I think you're going to enjoy this 35-minute presentation, which will indeed conclude this week's podcast. By the way, if you're enjoying these podcasts, please leave a review, thumbs up, tell a friend and Tally Ho Amigo. Jambo, fellow adventurers, and what an adventure this is. Have you ever jumped out of a perfectly good airplane at 20,000 feet? Have you been whitewater rafting in the foothills of the Himalayas? or taken a safari on elephant back. Well, if you haven't done all of those things yet, don't worry, because I have. And I am here to tell you that there is one adventure, hands down, that beats them all. And it's the one you're in the middle of, right here and now, called life. By the way, Jambo is Swahili, for hello. But to adventurers like us, it also means, I'm glad our paths have crossed in this most awesome of all adventures called life. And today, I am indeed glad our paths have crossed. I'm Mike Dooley, founder of Tuts Adventurers Club, an adventurers club for those who believe that living in time and space as a creation amongst our creations is the ultimate adventure. You see, it's more of a philosophical adventurer's club than it is a club that goes out and discovers lost continents or forgotten cities. Because by understanding the underlying philosophies of life, its principles, you can then set out to do whatever your heart desires, whether it is discovering lost continents or perhaps living the life of your dreams. Speaking of discoveries, doesn't it blow your mind that less than 500 short years ago, people still thought the earth was flat? Even more shocking than that is that less than 100 short years ago, people the world over could still be heard saying, if God wanted us to fly, He'd given us wings. You may or may not know this, but humankind has walked the face of the earth for at least one million years. Yet 99 years ago, we didn't think we could ever get off the ground. Why? Why did it take us so long in the course of our evolution to discover such simple basic principles? principles that have been around a lot longer than we have, and principles which, had they been discovered, could have profoundly changed all of our lives for the better, perhaps hundreds and hundreds of thousands of years ago. Why did it take us so long? Well, I think I know what at least one of the reasons was. And sadly, it's because, generally, people didn't think But specifically, it's because people didn't think for themselves. Instead, preferring to live as herd-like creatures, one following another, like lemmings jumping off of a cliff. But again, why? Because what could be easier than thinking? We can't stop ourselves from thinking. And doesn't every great invention or every incredible breakthrough or every life-changing personal revelation? Don't these only ever lie a thought away? A thought away from the thoughts you're thinking right now. Now, here's a question that might make some of you a little uncomfortable, but we're in the same boat, so that's okay. What do you think people 100 or 500 short years from today are going to laugh at me and you about? Probably a lot of things. And I think I know what at least one of them is. It's that still, to this very day, people generally do not think for themselves, which means that right here and now, in this very room, there are very likely dozens of simple, basic principles that have been around a lot longer than we have and that could fantastically change all of our lives for the better, yet they remain undiscovered. But I do believe that humankind right now is on the verge of its greatest discovery ever. Discovering a principle that is so huge that it will dwarf anything that's ever been discovered before. I further think that every one of you here today is also on the verge of that very same discovery. How many of you have heard the expression, Be careful of what you wish for, because you just might get it. Can I get an idea? Now you can all see how many of you have heard that. And you know what else? You all believe that it's true, to at least some degree. Be careful of what you wish for, because you just might get it. But have you ever thought about how or why it might be true? But have you ever wondered at perhaps what mysterious principle might lie beneath that statement that could turn a wish into reality? You all believe in the powers of positive thinking. But again, have you ever thought about what powers positive thinking. Being Unity members, you've all heard about the art of visualization. I bet you virtually all try it. Some could share some great stories of it working wonders in your life. But have you ever thought about how or why visualizing could work? What are its mechanics? Don't these three statements all say about the exact same thing? And isn't it kind of uncanny? How not only have you heard of them before, but you believe them unquestioningly? Something's going on, something colossal. And I believe it's this principle that I'm about to share with you in three simple words. Three, I hope, never-to-be-forgotten words. Thoughts become things. That's it. Thoughts become things. I don't mean that figuratively either. I mean it literally. Our thoughts have an energy and a life force that leave us once we think them, and they're on their own to come back into the things and events of our lives. Thoughts become things. Not sometimes, but all of the time. And not just your positive thoughts, but the other ones too. Because it's an immutable law as rigid and predictable as gravity. And with regard to this principle operating in your lives, you cannot ever turn it off. But this isn't bad news. It's awesome news because they're your thoughts. And every minute of every day, you get to choose exactly what you're going to think. And with this principle, you can bring virtually anything you can imagine into your life and it's not just limited to material things. You can imagine more love, more joy, and more laughter. My first taste of this principle came as a nine-year-old kid taking horseback riding lessons in Cherry Hill, New Jersey. Every weekend, my mother would take me and my sister, and my mother's here today. Mom, would you wave hi, everybody? Mom would take me and Amanda to horseback riding lessons. And at the end of a two-month period, we had our first horse show. And I can remember vividly, to this day, sitting on my pony in the middle of the ring with the five other contestants to my side, all lined up, facing the judges, waiting for them to call out the name of the winner. And I was so happy to hear my name called first that I could have fallen off of my pony until I realized it was to ride forward and collect the green ribbon for coming in sixth place. (laughs) But I was resilient, and Mom made me keep on riding. And two months later, the second show came. This time, one week before that show, I went to my mother and said, Mom, I want to win. How do you win? And she said, Mike, do three things. First, ride with your heels down. (laughs) Second, ride with your shoulders back. And third, every night before you go to bed, pray and ask God, to help you do your best. And with that, I had the formula. I was on the right track. I knew it. And every day, I looked forward to that conversation with God about winning. And come show day, I did. I went from worst to first in my little class of writers. And though I don't like to brag, ever since that time, I've come in first place in a wide variety of life's endeavors. But now, when I look back to that one week that preceded the second horse show, I realized that something else happened each night I had that conversation with God. Something really important. In my mind, it made all of the difference. I was thinking thoughts of victory that would become things. I could see in my mind's eye the blue ribbon, not the green ribbon. I could hear my name being called last, not first. And I wanted so bad to receive that trophy with a little horse on top. And those thoughts came to pass. Pass. The second time in my life I encountered this principle, but this time knowing a little bit about what was going on was shortly after I graduated from the University of Florida. I was hired by Price Waterhouse, who at the time was considered the Tiffany's of the Big Eight accounting firms and to this day a renowned organization the world over. Unfortunately for me, though, my first three months at PW were a nightmare. It was as if everything I touched unraveled. I couldn't do anything right. I had five evaluations for the five audits I worked on in those three months, and the gist of every one of them was, Mike Dooley must improve. (laughs) It was a horrible time in my life. I was fraught with fear from morning till night that I would be fired. From my first job in the real world, a job that had taken me three or four months of pounding the pavement to get, and a job that I made sure everybody I knew knew up. (laughs) It was so bad, I remember walking into my mother's living room one night, I still lived at home at the time, and saying to her, Mom, I know I'm gonna get fired. I am going to get fired. But I was onto this principle at that point. And when I heard myself say those words, I realized the dire pictures I'd been painting in my mind for the last three months. So I immediately went to the couch, laid down, closed my eyes, and began to visualize. But visualizing is not always easy. Because lots of times in life, we know where we want to end up. We know what our dream is, our goal is. But we don't have a clue as to how we're going to get ourselves there. And that was true for me back then because I was a bad auditor who wanted to be a good auditor. But bad auditors don't know what good auditors do or they wouldn't be bad auditors. (laughs) So I didn't know what to visualize. Here's what I did, and it's what you can do whenever you don't know how to get to the end result. You simply focus exclusively on the end result. For me back then, I closed my eyes and didn't see myself performing audits that I didn't know how to perform anyway. I closed my eyes and saw myself walking up and down the hallways of Pricewaterhouse, beaming with joy, thrilled to be there, saying hi to the partners and staff, and them actually saying hi back to me, because up until that time, that wasn't happening. (laughs) Well, I did this visualization every single night when I got home from work. And three weeks later, the phone in the staff area rang. Now, there was about 15 of us entry-level staffers, but I knew that it was for me, because I was the only one of them not assigned out into the field on an audit. And not only was it for me, it was Bill Jackson, the head of human
1: resources.
0: (laughs) He said, Mike, the tax department is shorthanded and they're approaching their busy season. And the audit department wouldn't mind loaning you to the tax department. But this wasn't good news. I was terrified of tax, as most auditors are. But I had no choice. So I was loaned to the tax department. And in what seemed like no time at all, I was walking up and down the hallways of Price Waterhouse, beaming with joy. The tax department loved me. And I loved being in the tax department. And my temporary loan became a permanent transfer, and from that point forward, my career at Pricewaterhouse took off. Finally, no longer under the guillotine of fear that I would be fired, I was able to start thinking about broadening my horizons. And one of the things I did to help me do this was I created a little scrapbook, something most 22-year-old young men would not admit to, But today, as a 40-year-old young man, I don't mind telling you, I look at my scrapbook almost every single day. And what I did back then was I took plain sheets of copy machine paper. And then I got a bunch of magazines, like Town and Country, Architectural Digest, and cut from the magazine advertisements of things that I wanted in my life. A nice watch, a fancy car, condominium, beautiful home. And I put in it pictures of foreign destinations I'd like to travel to one day. London, Paris, Hong Kong, Tokyo. And I used this scrapbook to help me visualize. I'd look at each picture, glean from it all the details, close my eyes, and see myself there, inside the picture, living that life. Well, my life was going good at that time. So I wasn't even doing it every single day. And the best part about all that was is I wasn't looking over my shoulder to see whether or not it worked. And it was a good thing I wasn't looking over my shoulder because the months went by and nothing seemed to happen. Until November when Pricewaterhouse sent me to Reston, Virginia for continuing education where I learned for the first time that they also send people overseas on foreign assignments. So, This seminar ended November 24th, November 25th. I remember the days because it was right before Thanksgiving. But on January 6th, just seven weeks later, I was based and living in Riyadh, Saudi Arabia, which to some of you might not sound like a dream come true. And for me, I have to admit, I did not visualize the Middle East. I had never even heard of Riyadh. But I did visualize my dreamed-of lifestyle, the end result. And perhaps nothing could have taken me there quicker than that tour of duty to the Middle East. Because during the 18 months, just a year and a half that I was there, I received free housing free car, huge hardship allowance, (laughs) and three months paid time off to use whenever I wanted. And during those three months, I went to every city and country on this planet that I ever dreamed of going my entire life up until that point, throughout Africa, Asia, the Far East, the South Seas. And my heart... Nearly missed a beat. Having breakfast one morning in the Regent Hotel in Kowloon, Hong Kong, when I looked up from over my coffee through the two-story plate glass wall that was in front of me and saw the exact same view of Hong Kong Island that I had cut and pasted into my little scrapbook just two years earlier. When my assignment in the Middle East was done, I bought a really cool condo in downtown Boston, walked back and forth past Faneuil Hall every day. Two years later, I moved to Orlando, Florida, joined with my mother, who you've met, and my brother, who doesn't look at all like me. (laughs) And we started Tut, totally unique t-shirts, totally unique thoughts. Some of you might even have those t-shirts. We sold them out of Church Street Station. We sold over a million of them worldwide with distributors in four other countries. I could go on and on until next week's service sharing with you examples of things that have happened in my life, things that I've received that were all preceded by my thoughts. But don't let me and my life be the proof that your thoughts become things because they always have. In fact, they're going to be doing it this week and they're going to continue doing it for as long as you're thinking. But maybe better than looking at your own life, because sometimes we're not always objective when we look at ourselves. Look at the lives of friends of yours, fellow church members, co-workers, neighbors, extended family members, for all of the evidence of how the fortunes and misfortunes they experience parallel their thinking. And while you're thinking of other people you know, think of the people you know who presently live in wealth and abundance. If you don't know a lot of them, think of the people you know of who live (laughs) in wealth and abundance. And ask yourself, what one thing do they all have in common? Did they all go to Harvard? Nah, some barely finished high school. Were they all born into wealth, into well-connected families? Not the ones I know. Were they all blessed with high IQs, either intellectually or emotionally? We all know a lot of dumb, rich people. (laughs) You just have to turn on your TV. What then, what then do they all have in common? One thing. And one thing only. They believed it could happen to them. It didn't matter why they believed it. They believed it could happen to them. And then as they believed, they thought thoughts along the lines of their beliefs. We can't help but do that. And then the principle kicks in. And you are helpless. Because your thoughts will then strive to become the things and events of your life It is the law. What happens when somebody throws a ball up in the air? Midway through its journey, it comes back down. It's the law. Does it matter who threw that ball? Where they went to college? Whether they went to college? How old they are? How young they are? What they look like? What their faith is or is not? How enlightened they are? It's out of their hands. The law takes over. And it's the same with this principle of your thoughts becoming things. It's out of your control once you choose those thoughts. though so choose them wisely. Now, having just said all that, I have to admit that not everything I've ever thought about has come to pass yet. And sadly... That's true for everyone here. It'd be a fair question right now to say, Mike Dooley, if this principle is as predictable as gravity, then what about those dreams of ours that have never seen the light of day? The explanation is ridiculously simple. You see, we never just want one thing, do we? We never just think one thought. In fact, on any given day, we think thousands and thousands and thousands of thoughts. And whenever we're thinking that many thoughts, which is all the time, there's the great likelihood that some of our thoughts will contradict one another. Some of them may even be mutually exclusive. Take, for instance, the person who dreams of climbing to the top of the corporate ladder. They want it with all of their heart and soul. They visualize it. They have a little scrapbook just to get to that corner office. But if that same person then goes home to their spouse every night and says, honey, nobody at work has any idea of all that I have to offer to this organization, Honey, nobody at work has any idea of the difference I could make. Those kind of thoughts must do what all thoughts do. Strive to become part of your reality. So the person who thinks they're underappreciated becomes underappreciated. And that's not where you want to be if you also see yourself climbing to the top of the corporate ladder. So just because in life you don't always get what you most want doesn't mean you didn't get what you were thinking about. You see, the reason that some of your thoughts have not yet come to pass is because other thoughts of yours have and they got in the way. So you can see that working with your thoughts is tricky they're slippery. And we think so many thousands of them, day in and day out, you could easily get to a point and think, you just get overwhelmed, like, I don't need to work with my thoughts because I can buy this principle. Thoughts become things. I've always known attitude is everything, and I've always been a really positive person. I like what he's saying, but he's not talking to me. There's two problems with that. First is, I'm up here, and I am talking to you. And to give that some bite, none of you as Unity Church members believe in coincidence. There's a reason you're here today. And that reason is that it's your turn. It is time to start living the life of your dreams, and it is time to begin working with your thoughts. But the good news about working with your thoughts is it's easy compared to everything else you already have to face, all of your other challenges. And where do you begin? By simply doing what you can. Let me give you an analogy. Everyone here right now, the person to your left, the person to your right. Every one of us is facing an issue or two right now. It's the name of the game. There's not a person here who doesn't have a problem. Some of you are facing major problems right now. But none of you are at home hiding under your couch. Might like to be, but you're not.
1: <laughs>
0: what are you doing? You're doing what you can. Because you know that by at least doing what you can, while you may not solve all of your problems today or tomorrow, it's going to make a difference. You're going to move forward. And things will get better. And when it comes to working with your thoughts, anyone can set aside just Five minutes a day to begin visualizing. That's a great starting point. Visualizing is easy. It's easier than meditating. It's easier than yoga. It's easier than jogging. And you don't have to tell anybody you're doing it. One time a day for five or ten minutes is not only enough, but it is ideal. Don't do it more. If you do it more, you're going to become anxious. You're going to be looking over your shoulder. You're going to start daydreaming. You're going to start getting mad at yourself. You're going to quit and not make any progress. One time a day for five or ten minutes is all you need for profoundly incredible manifestations. You might even end up in Riyadh, Saudi Arabia. Now I have a lot more I would like to share with you about beliefs, emotions, actions, words, deeds, relationships, a myriad of things, but I don't have that much time. I only have time really now to share with you three simple guidelines that I follow when I visualize. And I realize that many of you are adepts at this, but here are three things I do that help me visualize that may or may not help you. Number one. I imagine, and it's best to imagine, every possible detail. When you close your eyes, see the sights, see the sounds, see the colors, hear the sounds, see the colors, the smells, the textures, and most importantly, feel the emotions that you expect you'd have when your dream is manifested. Number two. Always put yourself in the picture. Don't close your eyes and see that new Mustang convertible floating on a cloud over your house. Uh, It'll show up on a blimp, and that's all you'll get. (laughs) Close your eyes and see yourself behind the wheel of your new Mustang convertible. Reaching over and programming the stereo of your new Mustang convertible. Put yourself in the picture. And number three, number three is so important. Number three is almost as important as this principle. Think exclusively on the end result. Do not get in the way of the universe and tell it how it should bring it to you. More damage will be done that way than you can imagine. Think exclusively of the end result. Like when I thought I was gonna get fired in auditing, I didn't tell the universe that I had to become a great auditor. And if I had, I would have shut the door to the tax department, which I never could have dreamed of on my own. And I didn't say, I wanna broaden my horizons by traveling to Manhattan and being stationed there for 18 months. Because if I had, I would have shut the door to Riyadh, Saudi Arabia, and the rest of the world. And worse things happen when you tell the universe how to do it, probably the worst of all is worry will set in. Because then you're gonna doubt whether or not your idea of how to get to your dream is reasonable. You're gonna start doubting whether your dream is reasonable. So number three is don't think about how or why you're gonna get there. Just think of where that is. Just define where it is, as if it's already happened in the past. Those three things again, Think of every imaginable detail, especially emotion. Number two, be sure to put yourself in the picture. And number three, think exclusively on the end result. Do not worry or think about how you're going to get there. fellow. Adventurers, I hope from the bottom of my heart that no one here thinks that this was just another talk about the magic of visualization, because what I most wanted to impress upon every single one of you is that there is a principle at play in the universe that turns your thoughts into things, an inviolate principle, and one which explains how you have been given dominion over all things. Please think about what I've said today. Think for yourself as to how this principle is already at play in your life. Because by recognizing it and understanding its existence, you can then use it to turn your wishes into reality and begin living the life of your dreams. Thoughts become things, whether you're visualizing or daydreaming. And what that means is that whatever it is that you most want, lies only a thought away, and that's not wishful thinking. It's the way things have always been in time and space. Jambo. Well, there you have it, fellow adventurer. Thanks for listening to this most recent installment of Spiritual Tune-Ups. If you enjoyed this podcast, please take a few seconds to rate it on the podcast service you're using right now. It makes a big difference in helping more people find us. And of course, if you want daily reminders of life's magic and your power, please sign up at tut.com for my free Notes from the Universe emails. Tally ho!